Good morning. We are uh, going to continue looking at the book of Ruth this morning. Sometimes it's easier to go back in life rather than to move forward. And uh, it's interesting, we're going to continue looking at the first chapter of Ruth, but uh, we read the whole first chapter last week. This week we're going to just focus on verses 6 through 15. And uh, as you read through this chapter, as you read the whole book, but especially this chapter and especially these verses, um, it's amazing how many times the idea or the word uh, return or go back or turn back is used in these verses. As, as I read through, I'd encourage you to pay attention to how often it's used here. Because um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, a little bit, we're going to think about what God wants to say to us through Ruth 1, verses 6 through 15, just to catch you up, to remind you in verses 1 through 5, uh, Naomi is married to Elimelech, and, and they move with their two sons from Israel to Moab because there's a famine. They, they move there out of desperation to try to get some food and to, to survive. Um, while they're in Moab, we're not sure how long they're there. They're there for a pretty long time, and uh, Elimelech dies. And then their two sons die. And so Naomi is left without anything except for her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So that's where we pick it up here in verse 6. We're going to read from verse 6 to 15. Listen to God's word as I read. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning as we look at these verses. Um, We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to, to make us receptive to what you are saying. And we pray that you would convict us of our sin. We pray that you would give us a clear vision of Jesus and his sufficiency for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever watched Scooby-Doo or maybe you've, your kids have watched it or something, you, you know that Fred, Velma, Daphne, Shaggy, Scoob are constantly going places where they're pressured into leaving. They're pressured into going back, to returning from where they came. 
whether it's a, a haunted house, you know, or a circus, or a town, or, or whatever. They, they, no matter, every single episode, wherever they go, somebody is trying to discourage them from going there and to turn away and to turn back, to return from where they came. You can probably imagine them all driving in the mystery machine van, you know, the, the blue and green van with the orange lettering on the side, just driving down this, this dark, wooded road. And as they're driving down this road towards this house, there's a sign that says, go away. And then another sign after another a few hundred yards, it says, turn back. And then another sign that says, turn back or you'll be sorry. They're constantly being pressured to turn back, to go back along the road that they came in on and to leave. In the book of Ruth, you're introduced to these two women, Orpah and Ruth, the, the daughters-in-law of Naomi. As the story progresses, as, as you'll see as we read through the rest of the book, the next three chapters after this one, we see Ruth stick around, and, and she, she, you, you watch how God meets her and provides for her and pours out his grace upon her and, and even brings her to a, a place of glory. But then you have Orpah, who after verse 15 of chapter 1, she's cut out of the story. She's forgotten. Her story is unresolved. As far as we can tell, she never really meets God, the living God, or experiences, or experiences any, any, any blessing from him. She just cut out of the story. And, and it's not that, that Orpah was a bad person. I mean, she seems to be um, pretty much just as, as, as valiant as Ruth. I mean, she, she is devoted to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the midst of her heartache. Naomi is thankful for her just as much as she's thankful for Ruth, right? And yet the difference is the reason that Orpah, we, we lose her in the story, the re, that her story is unresolved, um, is because she gives in to the pressures that say turn back, to the voices that say, even coming out of Naomi's own mouth, the, the voice that says go back, it's going to be better for you if you go back. She listens to those voices and she goes back to Moab. As we look at Orpah, I want to talk this morning about these same voices that pressure us into turning back from experiencing God's loving kindness and his power and his presence in our own lives. Because I think we face very similar voices that are saying the same things to us that they said to Orpah. Okay, so first there's a voice that says, go back along the path that makes sense. Go back along the path that makes sense. Naomi starts heading back to Israel, and both Ruth and Orpah go with her, right? And then Naomi stops and tells them to go back in verse 8. But in verse 10, they, they both seem to be like, no, we're going to stick with you. We're going to go with you. We will return with you to your people. But then in verse 11, Naomi then talks a little more and explains a little more in details, saying, look, it doesn't make sense for you to go with me. It makes much more sense for you to go back to Moab. Look, I, I'm, I have no hope. I have no future. I am a widow. Do you realize how desperate that makes me, how vulnerable that makes me? As I go back to Israel, I, the only hope I have is the pity and the compassion and the mercy that others might or might not show me. It makes no sense. It makes no sense for you to come with me. I, even if I were to get married, which I'm too old for, 
and have kids. You're not going to be able to wait for my kids to grow up and then marry them, even if I have two, two more sons. It doesn't make sense for you to go with me. It makes more sense for you to go back where you have a chance to, to find a young Moabite man that you can marry and actually have hope for a future. It makes more sense to do that. And Orpi eventually listens to that. It makes more sense to go back. It makes more sense. Many of the demands of the gospel and the promises of God do not make sense when they are compared to the logic of our world. I mean, Art just read earlier how Jesus said, you know, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. That doesn't make sense. Our world will say, do everything you can to create the life that you want. Do everything you can to protect what you have. Do everything you can to accumulate as much as you can have in order to have life, in order to have security. That is what makes sense. To work as hard as you can. To do everything you can to make sure your life is safe and secure. That is what makes sense. And yet Jesus says, if you want to find life, if you want to have life, if you want to save your life, you have to give it away. You have to lay it down. You have to let go of it. You have to surrender it. Instead of protecting yourself, you have to make yourself vulnerable. That doesn't make sense. What the world will tell you makes the most sense is to always pursue what you think will make you the happiest and will allow you to accumulate as much as possible. The gospel urges you to believe in and prioritize a God that you cannot see. The gospel urges us to believe in a man who lived thousands of years ago and who rose from the dead doesn't make a lot of sense. The gospel encourages us to believe in the fact that God is good, even though as we look around our world, we see a lot of senseless brutality and suffering. That doesn't make sense. And if, but, but if we want to experience God's grace and his power, if we want to know God, we have to resist this voice that says, go back along the road that makes sense. We have to move towards a God who, who says a lot of things that, that don't make sense to our world. Okay? So first we have to resist the voice that says, go back along the path that makes sense. But then there's the voice that says, go back along the path of least resistance. When Orpah chooses to go back to Moab, I just want to point out here, no one tells her not to right? I mean, there are people, as we read the book, and we see what happens to Ruth, and we're like, you know, Ruth did this, you know, courageous thing to stay with Naomi, um, and we can, like, evaluate 2020 hindsight, say, yeah, of course, Orpah should have stayed, but, but at the time, in the text, there's nothing that says Orpah should have really stayed. Even Naomi herself, the, the only voice is saying, go back. The only voice is saying, return. There is nothing that condemns her for going back, Right? The voice that says, go back along the path of least resistance is actually a, a voice of silence. <laughs> because that's the thing about life. We, we live our lives with this real sense of inertia. We, we're all moving in this one direction where, where the, the easiest thing to do is just to keep going in that direction, to keep pursuing what, what I want out of life, making myself the priority. That's kind of the, the inertia of life. That's the path of least resistance. 
There's a, um, a, a TV show that I know many of you guys are watching called The Chosen. Um, if you don't know anything about it, if you haven't heard about it, I would encourage you to watch it. It's, it's a phenomenal show. It's based on Jesus and his disciples and, and them interacting. It's, it's fictional, but it's based on a lot of scriptural passages and, and truths, and, and, and it really, it's, it's, it's really well done. Um, but I'm not even going to make a, a reference to a scene from, from the TV show. I'm going to make reference, I think even the, the opening credit scene is well done. It's basically just this cartoon of these fish that are swimming in one direction, all these kind of gray fish that are swimming in one direction. And then there's just one bright blue fish that's going in the opposite direction. And as that blue fish goes in the opposite direction, one or two more fish turn blue and they turn around and go that direction and continue to follow that one blue fish against the, the force of all of these other fish coming the other way. And that's really um, what I'm talking about here is, is the temptation for us, the, the voice that we all will continually hear in our heads or maybe the lack of voice, the, the lack of condemnation for us. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to fight us if we put ourselves first in this world. Nobody's going to fight us if we put our career before everything else. Nobody's going nobody's to condemn you for, for maybe sleeping in a little longer rather than getting up in order to serve someone. Right? The, the path of least resistance is, is the one that, that all of us are tempted to just easily just follow. And yet, again, if we want to know God and experience his presence, we need to move along the path of great resistance. Um, it's interesting, this, this word return, turn back, that's used over and over again here, is actually the Hebrew word that's translated in much of other places in the Old Testament as repent. It's the same word for repent. And that's really what we're talking about here, you know? A, a big aspect of, of knowing God and following Jesus is a continual daily repentance. It's a turning away from the path of least resistance and recognizing that following Jesus is going to be costly and hard and difficult, and it's going to require sacrifice, and it's going to require, you know, courage. And so there's that voice that's going to say, go back along the path of least resistance. We need to resist that voice. And lastly, there's a voice that says, go back along the path that will take you home. Go back along the path that will take you home. In verse 8, Naomi tells the women to go back to her mother's house, that they may find rest in the house of her husband. In the end, in verse 15, it says that Orpah went back to her people and to her gods. Orpah ultimately listened to the voice that said, go home. Go home. Go home. What, what is home? Home is the place where you believe that you belong. The place that you believe that you will be safe. The place that, that you believe you'll be able to rest, right? She said, find rest in the house of your husband. That is what home is. At least that's what home is when you've grown up in a, in, a, in a pretty decent home. It's a place where you know you belong. It's a place where you know you're safe. It's a place where you can rest. And ultimately, ultimately that's the voice Orpah listened to. I'm, I'm, I, I believe that, that that place is Moab with my people and my gods. That is what home is for me. But here is the irony. Here's the irony. The voice that says, turn back and go home actually is telling us to do what we need to do. 
The problem is, is that we're just a little uncertain about where home really is. We're not totally clear about the place that will give us belonging and rest and safety. I mean, Ruth actually found that as she continued forward going to Israel. As she followed Naomi, she ended up in Israel experiencing home, belonging, rest, safety in the presence of Yahweh, the living God. That is what we all have been made for. That is what home is for everyone. Whether you recognize it or not, home is knowing God, living in relationship with the living God. He is the only one who can give us true belonging and rest and safety. And so Orpah was just confused and thought that, that the place that she could find home is back in Moab. But the reality was, is if only she would have just continued following Naomi, it would have taken her to her true home. So this is the thing. We, we tend to think that our homes, the things that will make us safe and give us rest and, and give us a sense of belonging are our literal homes. You know, the houses that we live in, the apartments that we live in, our couches, our comfortable couches, um, the relationships that we've surrounded ourselves with, our, our politics, even our religion, that becomes our home. Our teams, our workplaces, our careers, those are the things that we count on to give us safety and rest and belonging. But the truth is that, that the only place where we will truly find those things is at the feet of God, is in relationship with God, is, is knowing God and experiencing his love for us. So that's the question. How was Orpah supposed to realize that how is Orpah supposed to realize that and on the road in between Moab and Israel? How is she supposed to realize that when the future looks so bleak and difficult? How do we know that it is only in God that we can find belonging and safety and rest? How do we know that? How do we figure that out for ourselves? Well, look at Orpah. Look at what Orpah had standing in front of her. She had a woman named Naomi who loved her. Naomi loved her with a love that was unique and powerful. And why do I say that? Well, think about Naomi's life. Um, she has lost everything. From her perspective, she, she, she has lost everything and, and she has nothing left. The only thing that she has going for her right now is these two women, Orpah and Ruth, the encouragement, the companionship that they brought to her life. That is all she had going for her. And yet, she was willing to say, go. To sacrifice that for their sake, for what she thought was best for them. She was willing to let go of everything for their sake, saying, go, it'll be better for you. You'll have a future. You'll have hope if you just leave me. That would have left her with having lost everything, sacrificed everything. That is who was standing in front of Orpah. This woman that loved her 
with such a unique, such a powerful, such a self-sacrificial love. The way that Orpah could have found home is just to fix her eyes on this woman who loved her this much and keep following her and trust her. And, and, and just, even though she was telling her to go back, to, to stick with her no matter what, if she would have just stuck with Naomi, that would have taken her to the living God, the one who truly could give rest. And this is how you find your true home. This is how any of us can find our true home. We follow the one who loves us so much, so uniquely that they are willing to give up their lives, themselves, everything for you. And in this, I think Naomi gives us a, a, a picture of, of Christ. She gives us a picture of Jesus and the way that she sacrifices what little she has left for what she thinks is going to be best for them. Jesus sacrificed everything. First, by coming into our world. We just read Philippians 2 in our men's study yesterday. Coming into our world and, and letting go of what was rightfully his. The glory that was rightfully his as God. And coming into our world to live as a servant and ultimately dying on a cross. Sacrificing what little he had left on the cross. For my good. For your good. To pay for your sin to create a way, a pathway for you to, to experience God's love and to know him and to walk with him, to experience the safety that God alone gives us, to give us the rest and peace that God alone gives us, to give us the belonging that being in God's family gives us. That is how we find our true home. It's, it's, by, it's by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by trusting and trusting ourselves to him, by clinging to him. We're going to talk about this more next week. By clinging to him as Ruth clung to Naomi. And that is the question I'll leave you with this morning. Are, are, you, are you going to listen to the voices that say turn back, that say go away, <laughs> that say it's not worth it, that say it's going to be way easier, or are you going to fix your eyes on Jesus? Because it's, it's by fixing your eyes on Jesus, it's by clinging to Jesus, it's by following the one who loves us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us. It's by doing that that will give us the, the ability to follow God into a world that doesn't make sense into a world of obedience to, 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 to commands and promises that don't make a lot of sense in this world. Will you fix your eyes on him? Will you fix your heart on him? Will you cling to him today? Because if you will, then you will experience what Naomi prays for, for these women, that the Lord would deal kindly with you. You would experience his hesed, his loving kindness, that you will find rest at his hands. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to resist these voices that say turn back and help us to listen to, to the voice of your spirit that says turn around. Find our home in you. Follow Jesus, the one who has loved us, 
with everything. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, let's take a moment to confess our sin together with the prayer that's printed in the order of worship. I think it's also going to be up on the screen. And then after we pray together, we'll have a silent time of confession. Let's pray. O most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who pardons all those who truly repent and turn to you, we humbly confess our sins and implore your mercy. We have not loved you with pure and fervent hearts, nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not done justice, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your tender mercies, blot out our iniquity. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we pray that you now hear our silent prayers of confession to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's continue to worship him.